Hi, welcome along to today's podcast from Property Apprentice. My name is Debbie Roberts. I'm one of the founding owners of the company. And today's subject, we're going to be looking at fact or fiction, re-examining some common property old wives tales. So we're going to see whether or not they're still relevant in today's market. So some of the things that we're going to discuss today, we're going to talk about the danger and the value of some of the old wives' tales, specifically for investors, and why old wives' tales should be regularly examined, depending on the times and where we are in the property market as well, in the property cycle. So we'll look at some of my take on these old wives' tales uh, with regards to the current market. Uh, Some of them that we'll discuss today, whether or not you should put all of your borrowings on interest only. So what you should do with your mortgages, mortgages on interest only, or whether you should put them on principal and interest. We'll talk about negative gearing and capital gain and um, property doubling in value every 10 years. We often hear that in the property market as well. And also uh, whether or not you should buy a home as a first step or buy a rental as a first step. So just a reminder that as a registered financial advisor, please take nothing from today's presentation as being individual financial advice. It's all general in nature because I don't know anything about any of your financial situations unless you're already a client of Property Apprentice. Okay, so we'll start with the fact that, you know, some old wives' tales when it comes to property investing in particular, some of the old wives' tales actually do hold some truth. So some of the ones that I quite like, and some of these are just sayings as well. So better an empty house than a bad tenant. Now, my grandmother used to say that all the time, and she wasn't even a property investor. She wasn't necessarily talking about actually tenants. So those of you that may have heard that saying before, you might be giggling as to what the actual meaning was. But those of you that don't know, you're probably better off to not know. So with the saying better an empty house than a bad tenant, when it comes to property investing, sometimes that's actually really true. You know, we've had situations where a property manager has said to us, look, this tenant stacks up on paper, can't recommend them as a good tenant for that particular property. And so we've listened to the advice that we got from our property managers and having an empty house for another week or so turned out to be a really good decision. And so it's generally cheaper to have maybe another week vacancy or two weeks vacancy rather than having to deal with uh, trying to remove a bad tenant or a problem tenant. Another saying that we hear a lot is location, location, location. I absolutely agree with that when it comes to long-term capital growth for a property and also tenant demand. So location is absolutely paramount when it comes to choosing which area you should be investing in and whether or not you're investing for capital gain or for cash flow or for a combination of those two things. So we need to make sure that we are choosing areas with solid population growth and good rental demand as well and also on the type of property that you've purchased or that you're looking at purchasing make sure that you're purchasing a property that's actually in demand for that particular area another one is um, buy the worst house on the best street. That's often been really good advice for us to follow on a personal scale. Buy properties that you can add value to through renovations, for example. If it's in a really good quality street, but it's a grotty rundown property, then that's a pretty good way that you can increase the value in that property, often just by doing a cosmetic renovation. So, you know, that's a a good thing to keep in the back of your mind as well. And something that we often say, especially now, is that 
when it comes to investing, especially in property, hindsight always has 20-20 vision. I've lost count of how many times Paul and I have said to each other, if we knew then what we know now, (laughs) things would look a whole lot different. It's one of those things we can't turn back the clock when it comes to investing. You can only make the decisions that are right for you from this point forward, okay? So I'll talk a bit more about that as we go through today's session. Now, some old wives' tales are really outdated, and yet there's still a lot of people that follow this advice. So one of the common ones that we hear is that the secret to success is to get a good education so you can get a good job, And then when you've got a good job, generally you'll receive good pay for that. So then you can start saving some money, use that savings to buy yourself a home and pay off your mortgage as quickly as possible. Now, um, there's a number of reasons why I think that's outdated advice. Uh, One of them is that to pay off a mortgage these days generally takes at least 20 years, most often closer to 30 years, you know, and that's if you're paying extra mortgage payments as well. So for most people, life's not long enough to create success, especially through property investing, in order to do that. And that plan there, get a good education, get a good job, save hard, buy yourself a home, pay off your mortgage, most people that have followed that plan have actually retired on the breadline. If we look at the statistics for people in New Zealand, by the time they reach retirement, most people don't retire financially comfortable. And so we need to start doing things that are a bit different from what most people do in order to get results that are better than what most people get. Okay, so what we often find is that with all of these old wives tales out there, it creates a lot of confusion in the property market and amongst investors themselves, even just if we look at individuals. Confusion generally leads to inaction. So what I want to do today is try and cut through some of these confusing sayings and uh, hopefully that will help you to make a decision to actually get cracking and start making some changes for your financial position. So something that's important to remember is that beliefs aren't necessarily truths. There's a story that I quite like uh, talking about. I I read this in um, a Reader's Digest years ago. My dad used to get Reader's Digests religiously. So in one section of them, they've always had these little stories. And in one of the Reader's Digests, I remember reading this story about this woman who uh, she invited her auntie around for dinner one night and she was cooking a roast beef. And when her auntie came into the kitchen to give her a hand, she said, why have you cut the end off the roast beef? And this woman said to her auntie, well, because that's how I've always done it. And that's how mum always did it. And that's how granny always did it. So I thought that that was just the way that it was supposed to be done. Like she justified it to herself from watching her mum and her mum's mum cooking Sunday roasts. She'd always cut the end off it and tucked it around the side. And she justified it to herself thinking, well, maybe the reason that they cut the end off and tucked it around the side is so that that smaller piece would cook a lot faster. So then for the people that liked well-done beef as opposed to medium or medium rare, then they had an alternative there. And her auntie's response to that was she just burst out laughing. And she said, oh, the reason that your granny used to cut the end of the roast off was because her roasting dish was really small. And the reason that your mum cut the end off the roasting dish was because after granny died, she got 
granny's roasting dish. So this woman, you know, who was cooking the roast for her auntie, her whole life she'd been chopping the end of this roast off for no reason other than basically monkey see, monkey do. You know, she'd learnt by example and had never questioned it. So we often have to challenge ourselves and question some of the habits that we've got because you need to make sure that you're actually doing things for the right reason. And some of the habits that you might have created might actually be working against you. One of the things that we like to encourage people to do is is learn to embrace change. There's one thing that is almost a certainty in the property market, and that is if you don't like things at the moment, don't panic because it's going to change shortly. The property market changes constantly and the rules and regulations around it change really regularly as well. You know, even if we just look at how many changes we've had in the sale and purchase agreement over the last couple of years, it's been massive. You know, there's been some significant changes just in, in that legislation. There's also been changes around the Tenancy Act and property management, all those sort of things. So there's a whole bunch of things that we need to constantly be aware of and embrace those changes because changes create a pathway for you to grow as an investor. So one of the things that I remember reading in a book years ago, it was um, a book by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And one of the things that he said in that book was, instead of saying, I can't, say, how can I? Because it just changes the way that you look at a potential problem. You know, For example, if you grew up in a household where you were always told, we can't afford that. If you think, I can't afford that, then there's no alternative. It's just not going to happen. But if you turn that round and start saying, how can I afford that? Then it gets your brain thinking for solutions. So you're open to different ideas and and thinking outside the square. Oftentimes what we find as investors is that that's what we need to do as well. Don't just say, oh, nothing works in this market. Just say, how can I find a deal that's going to work to meet my particular purchase guidelines and, and meet my requirements for what I'm looking for? So one of the other old wives' tales that we're going to look at is, especially when it comes to property investing, some people say you should put all your borrowing, all of your mortgages for rental properties should be on interest only. And a lot of people say that that's the only way to go because uh, it's cheaper. And that is true. It is cheaper. But I would suggest that as far as a rule goes, no, it's not a be all and end all. There are situations where you shouldn't put all of your borrowing on interest only. So, for example, one of the main reasons that I think this this old wives' tale, call it what you want, but one of the reasons that this has become a popular belief is because it's actually smarter money management to pay off non-tax deductible debt first. So, for example, if you've got a mortgage on your own home, that's non-tax deductible, whereas a mortgage the interest portion on a mortgage for a rental property is tax deductible. If you're using uh, any surplus income that you've got to pay off your non-tax deductible debt, for example, the mortgage on your own home, then pay that off first, then start thinking about paying off your tax deductible debt. But if you don't have any non-tax deductible debt, absolutely put your first rental property, if that's going to be your first purchase, stick that on principal and interest. Why wouldn't you? 
use your surplus income or if you've already paid off your own home, then start paying down your rental properties using your surplus income because it's just going to boost your passive income sooner rather than later. You don't necessarily have to have properties on interest only for the rest of forever. Okay, it doesn't make sense. Also, with bank lending at the moment, getting long terms for interest only can be quite tricky. So sometimes if you want to continue with an interest only, you might find that you've got to refinance to a different bank. So we always recommend that you talk to an independent mortgage advisor around um, these sort of questions. Now, some of you might consider putting some of your high cash flow rental properties on principal and interest as well. And the reason that I suggest that is for some people that makes a lot of sense. If you've got a rental property that's has got a really high yield and with interest rates at the moment, you know, we can get five-year interest rates below 3%. So if your net yield on a rental property is significantly higher than 3%, why wouldn't you put that onto principal and interest? Take advantage of the current interest rates that we're getting at the moment and use that to pay down your debt on these rental properties. It might not affect your cash flow at all. If you purchased that property, for example, if you had a rental property that you purchased with a 7% net yield and now interest rates are below 3%, that's probably pretty nice cash flow, even if it was on principal and interest as opposed to leaving it on interest only. It's worth thinking about and worth discussing with your mortgage advisor and also your accountant just to double check to make sure that makes sense for your particular situation. So when it comes to deciding whether to go on principal and interest or interest only, it depends a lot on what your long-term goals are or what your long-term plan is for your investment portfolio. And as I've mentioned here, make sure you get help from your mortgage advisor, your financial advisor or um, your accountant around that. Okay, there's also a number of investors, especially from years ago, who believe that capital growth and negative gearing is the only way that you can make money in property. There were several companies around a few years ago that promoted negative gearing as being a great way to reduce your tax rate down to zero, reduce your personal tax bill down to zero um, because you'd be able to offset those losses in your rental properties against your provable income, uh, against your PAYE tax that you pay, for example. So I would suggest that um, that is a false old wives' tale. And is one way that you can potentially make money in property through investing for negative gearing and capital growth. However, there's some significant things that you need to be aware of now. One of them is that tax losses are ring-fenced. <laughs> so you're no longer going to get a tax refund at the end of each financial year to offset the losses against a rental property. Now the tax losses get carried forward into the next tax year. Although it can affect your overall tax position, it more delays things rather than getting a refund right at the end of the financial year. So it can work, but generally only when there's strong capital growth happening. And capital gain is one of the only, one of the very few things in property investing that we've got no control over. Negative gearing also only works if you've got really high provable income because you need to have both equity as well as provable income in order to get a bank loan. 
okay, in order to get a loan approved through a bank and, and even some of the non-bank lenders as well, you've got to have a combination of both equity as well as provable income. If you're buying negative cash flow properties with the intention of having that strong capital growth, capital growth doesn't happen all the time. So what you'll find is that you'll either get to a point where negative capital growth might be happening, so the property market might go into a correction, and you might find the value of your properties dropping, and you're still topping it up out of your own back pocket. So that might be happening. The other thing that might happen is that you will hit the wall with your lending when it comes to your provable income, as far as the bank's concerned. If I use Paul and myself as an example, if we'd been buying negative cash flow properties, pre-tax negative cash flow, we would have hit the wall with our lending after the first or second purchase. So depending on what you want to achieve from your investing, you need to be really strategic about what sort of rental return you're looking for and also whereabouts is the best place to be investing to find the right sort of properties that are right for your financial position. In reality, you need to have a combination of both capital growth and cash flow in order to be able to keep moving forward with your lending until you reach your long-term goals. So buying negative cash flow properties actually reduces your choices as you grow your wealth. You know, if you're relying on your income to top properties up, if something happens to your income, your entire rental portfolio is at risk as well. So we would suggest a safer way to do it would be to have your portfolio of rental properties, whether that's two rentals or whether it's 22 rentals or whatever, you would want you'd want to have your rental property portfolio covering its costs across the board. Okay. So you might have one negative cash flow property and then have a few others that cover the shortfall of the negative cash flow one, but you're not relying on your personal income to um, help fund that shortfall. The other thing to remember is that buying for the benefit of reducing your taxes, what you're forgetting is that in order to save your money that you pay on tax, you still have to spend the dollar first. So for example, you might be spending a dollar to save 33 cents or depending on what your tax rate is. So it, it just doesn't make sense. That's no pun intended. But if someone said to you, give me a dollar and I'll give you 33 cents back, it doesn't sound like a good deal, does it? But people were doing this when it came to investing because they thought that capital growth was the only way to make money out of property and it's not. So ring fencing of tax losses has been introduced and that means that the losses get carried forward now. Your tax benefits are all still there and again, make sure that you talk to your um, property accountant about this, but the tax benefits of property investing are all still there, you just don't get them as a refund from the inland revenue anymore. And as I mentioned before, it's absolutely no fun when house prices start dropping to still be topping a property up out of your own back pocket. Okay, so let's have a look at the next old wives' tale, and that one is that properties double in value every 10 years. We often hear that. I've heard that from several different sources. Properties tend to double in value every 10 years, and my take on that is that that's a false old wives' tale. I would suggest that property sometimes doubles in value every 10 years. It will depend on whereabouts your properties are. So if we look at the New Zealand property market, you'll find some areas double in value every seven years, sometimes even less. Sometimes 
in some areas, it can take decades. And sometimes property values stay flat for several decades. One of the things that we always look at when it comes to investing is the underlying fundamentals of that particular area. So what we can tell you is that as an average across New Zealand, over the last 30 years, property in New Zealand across the board has averaged a 7% increase each year. It's around the 7% mark. It's not exactly 7%. But that would suggest that property doubles in value every 10 years because it's like 7.2% would be um, doubling in value every 10 years. But what you need to remember is that that's the nationwide average. In order to get that average, some areas are above average and some areas are below average. Not all areas are created equal. What we do know uh, from history is that the main centres, so the six main centres in New Zealand, that would be Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga, Wellington, Dunedin, Christchurch, those are the six main centres. They tend to have stronger long-term capital growth than what we see in the regions. Small towns especially if they've got shrinking populations, not so good when it comes to long-term capital growth. And it all boils down to their underlying supply and demand. If there's not the population there to support housing values, if people are moving out of an area rather than moving into it, that's not great for the demand side. So it doesn't make sense. And also for rental properties as well, if there's people moving out of the area instead of moving into the area, then that can affect how many potential tenants you're going to have in a few years' time. Something that's really common, and we get asked this a lot, uh, should you buy a home first before you buy your first rental property? So it was a really common thing, and especially when I was growing up, it was always you'd go to school, get a good job, start saving, buy yourself a home, pay that off as quickly as you can. And now we are starting to see, especially in Auckland, there's a lot of first-home buyers that are saying, gosh, buying a home is going to be really expensive. So what if we considered buying a rental property as a first step? They're looking at different alternatives. So the old wives tell that you should buy a home before you buy a first rental property. I would say that's a big fat maybe. And it will depend on a number of different things. It will depend on your individual situation. So Paul and myself, for example, our very first purchase, we purchased it with the intention of it being a long-term rental property. We lived in it for a little while while we renovated it, but then we went back flatting and rented that property out. And the reason for that was because we were low-income earners. So for us, it was much cheaper to rent in the area that we wanted to live in than it would have been if we bought the same house and paid a mortgage on it. So it depends on where you want to live. If it's much cheaper to rent in the area that you want to live in, then it might be more beneficial for you to buy rental properties as a first step in areas where the rental return was a bit higher. You also need to take into account what your borrowing capacity is. This is where your mortgage advisor can help you as well. If buying a property for a home is going to stretch you financially to the point where you're not going to be able to invest until you've significantly paid down that mortgage, you might find that buying high cash flow properties, properties with a higher yield, can actually strengthen 
your purchasing capacity based on your provable income. It's also important to take into account whereabouts your deposit is coming from. So, for example, if your main source of your deposit comes from KiwiSaver, then you will be limited to buying a home as a first step because at the moment you can't use KiwiSaver to buy an investment property, which, in my personal opinion, is a little bit crazy. And now I'm going to get up on a soapbox here for a minute because the purpose of KiwiSaver is to help strengthen people's financial position in retirement. And that's the purpose of investing in property as well. You know, so if you, yeah, I think it's mad that, that people aren't able to use KiwiSaver in order to buy an investment property because I think it, it could be an important part of creating some financial strength further down the track by the time they reach retirement. Now, at the moment, as I said, if you're using KiwiSaver is your main source of deposit. You will be limited to buying a home as a first step. You have to live in it for at least six months, but six months can go pretty quickly. So often what we see is that people choose to buy a property that they live in for six, 12 months or whatever, and then take that as a stepping stone. So, you know, they, they'll lower their standard. They're not buying the dream home as the first purchase. They're buying a property that they know is going to be a good rental property further down the track. So move into it for at least six months and then potentially move from there. You also need to take into account what your long-term plan is. What is the reason? What are you doing this? What are you wanting to achieve from investing in property? Are you planning on doing an overseas experience once the borders are lifted, once we're allowed to fly out again? Are you planning on starting a family? All of these things need to be taken into account because if you're going to be mortgaged up to the eyeballs on your own home and then one of your incomes takes a bit of a backward step, like if you go on maternity leave or if, if you decide that one of you is, is going to be a stay-at-home parent, then that's going to affect your income and that will affect your ability to pay off that mortgage on your own home. Sometimes it makes sense to buy a rental property first where you don't have the same sort of restrictions there. Okay, so that was just a few different ideas. Hopefully that got your grey matter thinking a little bit. Uh, if you'd like some more free resources, uh, feel free to check us out at propertyapprentice.co.nz. We've got a bunch of ebooks and webinar recordings and things like that there. You can register for a free live training session in our offices at Green Lane in Auckland. And we also still run live online training sessions as well, where I teach you the fundamentals about property investing. I cram as much of detail into those two our sessions as I possibly can. Actually, lately we've been getting so many questions during those sessions, they've been sort of closer to two and a half hours than the two hour mark. So just um, keep that in mind if you want to pop along or join us online for one of those. But a great opportunity to reduce your risk by increasing your knowledge uh, and they're free. So you've got nothing to lose, literally. At the end of the free events, we do tell you about our lifetime coaching program and that how that might help you, whether you're looking at buying a home or whether you're investing or whether you're looking at doing some property trading as well. For more information, feel free to email us at info at propertyapprentice.co.nz and same if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts, please email us info at propertyapprentice.co.nz 
always open to suggestions. For those of you that are listening to the podcast, you'll be aware of where to find us. If you found us on YouTube, then make sure that you check out our podcast as well so you can subscribe to them to make sure that you don't miss anything. For those of you that are just listening to this podcast, we do just about always have PowerPoint presentations that go along with it. So, you know, you might want to check us out on YouTube if you're more of a visual learner. All right, so thank you very much for watching and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.